I'm Toki Wright, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Berklee College of Music's Guitar Department. Today's guest is Chair of the Professional Music Department here at Berklee College of Music, Toki Wright. Toki Wright is a two-time Emmy Award-winning MC, poet, and producer. Wright charted top 50 on MTV, iTunes, and more. He's released recordings with Talib Kweli, DJ the Chicago Kid, and G. Yamazawa, and traveled the world performing at festivals like Coachella and Rock the Bells. As a community organizer, Wright has led efforts in the U.S., Africa, and Europe. He has received two CLIO awards for advertising with General Mills, the number one worldwide Twitter trending project, Watch the Stove, that was also nominated for a Canis Lions Award. As an educator, he headed the United States' first fully accredited hip-hop studies diploma program and chairs the professional music department here at Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berklee College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. As usual, we're joined by Assistant Chair Cheryl Bailey. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, everybody. Um, we're doing this in the afternoon, so I'm hydrating. Water, water, water. That's smart. That's smart. I'm going for the coffee. I, I've got my guitar department mug, and I'm drinking the work-study students' coffee, which is probably the strongest coffee I think I've ever had. And that's saying something. So it's like it stains the table strength. So we're going to because we're going to have a long night over here. It's like performance jury time over here. So we're going for it. Um, Also here with us, as usual, is Ben Cody, our senior coordinator at the department. Hey, Ben. Hello. You ready for tonight? (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exciting. Um, And our special guest today is our friend, the chair of pro music. Toki Wright. Hey, Toki. How you doing? Thank you so much for being on a coffee talk with us. Of course. Thank you for the invitation. We're so excited because um, pro music is a major that so many guitar players study. It's it's one of the, I think it's the most creative major in some ways at Berkeley. And so um, it's great to have you here with us. Um, we also have two alumni of that major here on Coffee Talk, Cheryl Bailey and Ben Cody. So this is going to be a fun, fun conversation. Um, and it's going to be great because you've taken the department in such new directions based on your own experience. And and so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what you do. Okay. Um, artistic life. Uh, but the first thing um, people want to know, because of the name of the show, is do you drink coffee? And if you do, how do you take it? You know, I just started drinking coffee maybe five years ago. I've been at the school about five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, you know, usually I'll either take it, I'll take black coffee, three creams, and as much sugar until it starts tasting like uh, soda. And then it's then I know I've gone overboard. Uh, I do drink like chai latte is that considered a a coffee i love the chai latte yeah coffee ish in the in the coffee family yeah for sure for sure so it did coincide with being here is that do you find a direct correlation or is that just a well you know i've i've had coffee prior but when i first moved here i had a, a newborn baby and so it was a lot of you know, one hour commute 
to work, eight hour work day, one hour commute home, and then here, take this baby. So, <laughs> so <laughs> long, long nights and early mornings, you need to have, uh, you know, support. Yeah. Now, in your life, before you were a father, you had a lot of late nights. So how did you manage that? Did you just have natural energy or you're a natural night person to be in the studio or to be performing? Um, I, I would say I became a night person. It was so much a part. Uh, it has been so much a part of recording culture, uh, club culture. You know, if I have to do a a gig where the door's at 7 p.m., I'm more likely going on stage after 9 or 10. And then there, the club, after the set, then you're working the merchandise table. Then after the merchandise table, there's the breakdown. And then after the breakdown, there's the, the travel home. And then the unload. And... Hopefully you get some sleep at some point. <laughs> okay. So there is even a lot in there that I wonder as you're working with students who come into Berkeley, do you find that it's a learning curve for people to, to sort of understand what you just said, that there's so many components yeah. of a gig and, and how do you manage like learning about all the components and also even managing that part where it's night culture and yet you're at a school where you may have a class at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Like, how do you help people manage that? Yeah, I think it's uh, how do you learn to structure your life? And I mm -hmm. think a lot of our students are on a, a spectrum of their involvement in music culture, music industry, where you know, I have students that have, uh, you know, and they're in their 30s and they've been out and about for long enough to know if this is where I want to be for my education, I may need to make some adjustments in my life as a professional performer. Um, of course, when you're fresh out of high school, you probably have a lot of energy and uh, that changes as you grow, get older and I have a lot of nuanced conversations with students about little changes that they might want to um, incorporate into their lives to to make things better. So even in apartment looking at, and I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, just looking at a lot of the new direction is what does it mean to be well as a musician, as, a, as an artist? You know, what is the full... Uh, holistic uh, combination of things that I need to do to make sure that I'm my best self and I present my best self at all times. And a big part of that is rest. Mm. Uh, that might mean just because I want to take seven nights worth of gigs, my body may not respond to that well. And if my I'm, I'm dealing with it right now, physical issue. And if my body shuts down on day six and I miss day seven. How does that? And then I'm out for two weeks. Should I have not thought about that on the front end and maybe not taken on more work than I could handle? You know, I, I 
I love that you said that because I think one of the things we hear a lot, and I'm sure you hear a lot, are the students who are taking so many opportunities outside of school, and then they neglect school as though school itself is not a professional development opportunity. And there was a student who came in today who had some requirement he had to sign up for in order to graduate, and he had missed it. And then he missed the second chance and came in. And um, and I said, you know, this is a really big deal. And he said, well, you have to understand, I had a gig and it was the greatest opportunity of my professional life. Right. And I said, well, what if you treated them the way you treated this office? And he said, well, I wouldn't. And I said, but we are them. Like we are them. This is professional development. Yes. And so how, how do you have those kinds of conversations like, and kind of take school out of this kind of requirement, like an adversarial requirement that you have to go through that you push to the side and make it like elevated in someone's mind as like, it's a valuable professional development opportunity. Even if each class, you can't see where that's going. How do you work with students in that way? I mean, I'm pretty blunt with students. Uh, I, I tell them, I I, I would say, uh, on the first day, I'll be very clear about letting me know where there might be conflicts in your schedule throughout the semester and that you need to contact me on the front end so that we can try to mitigate whatever the situation is. But if you don't communicate with me, there's no chance for me to ever support you in the way that I could or uh, in the ways that I could. Um, I also let them know that I'm getting paid anyway, whether you show up, whether you participate. You know, I went through the process of becoming a professional musician. I am now. This is part of, you know, what I do as a musician. I'm also an educator, um, but I showed up. And that's why I'm here. I showed up early on time and I stayed until after. And uh, being clear with them that sometimes we as educators use this term when you're in the real world, rather than letting them know that the real world is now. Because I may hire you for a gig 10 years from now. You don't know that. I may have an opportunity for an internship or some contest somewhere or a scholarship, and I might have influence. And if you rub me the wrong way or you don't do your part, you're, you're showing me that you're not responsible. And so I have to ask myself as a, as a student that's spent so much money or your parents have spent so much money, you've gone through all of this, uh, all of the difficult challenges that it takes to be here. Why? throw that away for opportunities that make may come back. Yeah, I, I really love that. I, I've experienced that in my life. Like sometimes we all experience it in our lives, but often you don't know. Right. And when I um, got an interview here for, for my job here, I found out that one of the people who, 
recommended me from inside the college when they when my name came up was Kari Usula, who was the dean of writing. He was the former dean of writing. But when I was 18 years old, he was my ear training teacher. Yeah. And he sat on my my juries, like my final exams and things. And he got in touch with me and he said, oh, yeah, I told them all about you. They asked me all about you. And yeah. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And I said, well, or, you know, 15 years or something. And he said, well, how much do, do people really change? And I thought, wow, you know, I'm so glad I went to that class. <laughs> I'm so, And I remembered like some of those things were a struggle for me. And I mentioned that and he said, yeah, but you worked so hard. And like, you know, and he just laid out what he remembered. And you think like, you're right. Like this is professional development. Like the way you approach your education is the way you're in the professional community right now. It, it, and we know that a large percentage of what we do is relationship-based. Mm -hmm. I know somebody that knows somebody that has a need, and I will connect you based on my trust in this other person as a, in my network. So I try my best, not just um, as a a mechanism to get work, but I try to be as decent with people as possible and treat everybody with respect. And I expect the same. Um, I, if, if people choose not to, I, I can be very dry with my humor and very sarcastic. And I've no, also have no problem pulling people aside to have conversations and give them a chance to improve. But I'm very upfront and transparent with with mm -hmm. most people. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think you've come come to the right place. I think we found we know that you are a kindred spirit with our, with our group. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I think it would be so nice um, if you could talk a little bit, just give us a little sense of the different seasons that you've had in your artistic career, because you've done so many different things. You're a performer, you yeah. write music, you're a producer, you've made records of your own and also with others. You've worked on festivals, facilitating festivals, organizing them. Um, you've worked in, in the nonprofit sector. And so I think when, when you meet someone when you're young who has done all these things and you're also been a professor and you've run, this is the second program you've run at this a second college from what I know, there might be more. Um, it's hard to see like, you know, how you got there with the twists and turns and you don't have to tell the whole shaggy dog story, but I wonder like, what did you really love when you were young? And then maybe like a few moments where you felt like oh that's a avenue i didn't see or that was a twist and a turn that was really cool and really valuable that i didn't see so maybe just like the beginning and then a few moments and then what you love the most about what you do right now sure oh uh the beginning you know i was always kind of in a other group or a other household or yeah, growing up, uh, you know, my mom had been practicing Buddhism since the age of 16. And so we had uh, already had like this cultural and religious um, difference, otherness when we went to school. And all, you know, we all have 
very different names. Like Toki is short for Nanjo Tokimitsu, the Japanese priest. And um, so always having a very diverse group of people that I was around. I had an interest in music very early. Um, living in the, in the the inner city, Minneapolis, North North Minneapolis, um, trying to find opportunities since a very young age. I've been involved in uh, youth programming, and a lot of that youth programming really encouraged my curiosity in in performance. Um, there would be events that we would. I work. I've worked with uh, run youth nonprofit organizations. Work with the. I ran the the mayor of Minneapolis's youth council uh, at one point in time. And there were all, always these opportunities for performance. And if you make yourself, if you're present, more more opportunities arise. Which is a similar like through line to what I tell students in class. If you're not here, I, you're you're not going to get an opportunity. Um, so that morphed into uh, performing a lot of different events, talent shows. Um, and my first real uh, event planning experience was in junior high school when my principal, my assistant principal told us that you can throw an event at the school, but all of the proceeds need to go back to another school event. And so I told, I went to my assistant principal and I said, if I throw the talent show, can I use the money for prom? And she thought for a couple minutes and she said, sure, why not? So that was kind of my first opportunity throwing a gig. And I, after I graduated, I, I met with a, a very close friend of mine uh, by the name of Larry Lucio. His, his dad actually happened to be my junior high school principal. We met in college and we started this uh, organization called Amplified Life. And we were in we do planning events and we noticed that it was really difficult to get into the arts and cultures community as a new person. So what we went, we did is we went around and gathered all of the events that were happening over the next couple of weeks. And we created an email list and then we gathered people's email addresses and we would, we started a list like a listserv, but we started to put our own events into the list. So not only will we show up at every event, um, and take any opportunity to get on the microphone and perform, but we brought value. And that's why I always talk to, to students that nobody wants to put me on a show. Nobody wants to book a tour for me. I, I'm always asking, well, what do you have to offer? Like, can you put people in the room? Do uh, Can you help someone in the next city get a gig in your city? You know, what is your, what is your value uh, to, to the people that you're trying to network and connect with? Um, yeah, and I got into, I, I ran a festival called the Twin City Celebration of Hip Hop for about seven years and went from a, you know, you know, we were doing monthly showcases where with the organization called Yo the Movement that I executive 
directed uh, youth organizing, uh, movement building. So we just recognize that hip hop culture, dance culture, uh, civic engagement, like there, there are a lot of opportunities to organize young people around what they like. And we're doing monthly showcases at different venues in town for all ages crowds. And we would make sure that whatever proceeds were, were made, a percentage would go back into the promotion of the next event. And then the rest of the proceeds would be split between anyone helping uh, perform or, or organize. So it was incentive. Um, outside of that, I got involved in, you know, performing, touring. Um, I, I had a, a hip hop group called The Core, and we did a lot of the the opening act performances in Minnesota. So opening for everybody from LL Cool J, Ludacris, Ja Rule, um, who were some people I opened up for that back in the day. Um, anybody that would come through town that was you know, uh, you know, moderately successful. We we had some ends, and we were pretty popular, and you know, were voted onto all of these lists. And the more you do, the more people recognize you and call you uh, for other opportunities. Um, I always had it. I'm going outside. I'm I'm breaking the timeline, but um, I ended up uh, touring. Uh, I was a few people asked me to to help them out on tour um, as either a supporting act or as a hype man. And so I started, uh, I became a hype man with a hip hop artist by the name of Brother Ali. And um, we and I, um, that eventually became a relationship with the record label Rhyme Savers Entertainment. And I toured, uh, their biggest group is Atmosphere, and I toured with uh, them for about four years, four or five years. And so a few months out, a few months home, a few months out, weekends, you know. Um, and I always had an interest in radio, television. I, um, so I kind of pestered them for a while about getting a radio show and they because they had a radio show on a local station kfai it never really happened and then they were going to end the show and i asked to fill their slot and they um they didn't give it to me but they said positive things about me and i ended up running a radio program it's the it's still going so it's been 10 years 10 years i, I i'm not yeah i don't i'm not a, a a host anymore but i whenever i'm back in town i i uh check in you know we started a multimedia company called soul tools entertainment um just uh presenting different forms of media i've been throwing events in you know, since i was 15 years old uh everything from small festival to big um uh small festival to small venue events um somewhere in there i 
graduated from college and had my first child. I, you know, that's a different, the, the interesting thing about my experience is that, um, you know, I had my first child at uh, 20. So while all of this, this is happening, um, I still have to go home. Right. I think that was a big part of my saving grace to have longevity was I had to be responsible for someone else besides myself. Um, So that was, you know, um, a big part of my experience. So I've done a lot of different things. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've worked after that radio program. I had uh, another uh, program on the American public media for a station called the current. Um, It was like, they're like sister station to, our sister network to NPR. I've done some work with NPR hosting or judging the tiny desk contest. Uh, <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, performed Coachella, South by Southwest, Rock the Bells, um, a lot of a lot of festivals that I can't remember. North by Northeast and Halifax, like a lot of these these festivals and have had a lot of experience on both sides. I, currently I work with a organization called Boston Art Music and Soul Festival, BAMS Fest. Mm-hmm. Help them organize their festival, help them organize a lot of their uh, weekly and monthly events. Um, just curious and nosy and- yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, but this is beautiful because so many of the stories that are told are like this. When you were in, without maybe knowing it, you were in a leadership mode, regardless yeah. of your role or your age. We've had so many interviews with people who are innovators or people. And, and then we say, like, when did you first think of playing the guitar that way? Or when did you first think about organizing something this way? And they would say, oh, I was 13 years old or I was 11 or I was 15 years old. Or, you know, and that I think is such a beautiful point. Um, we're going to get into the the nuts and bolts of how you practice and how you think about the art that you create and the music that you create. But I want to stay for a minute on this point of this beautiful story, which is that you really had the courage and the confidence. Like you put yourself out there, you led with curiosity, maybe even when you weren't confident and you built relationships and started seeing a need. Oh, they, they don't have this here and we have this cool idea. And what if we built it? Yeah. And then, and then everything you say, oh, and, you know, I, I got with this person or I heard this uh, and, uh, you know, I met this person or I love the part where you said, well, they turned me down, but they said great things about me. And then and those are the things where I feel like, especially now in this moment, I think our faculty and I, I'll throw myself in there. We're really trying to wrap our heads around how do you teach a generation of students who spent so much time online and so much time virtually about what you just said about the experience that we share of going into the world and building things and trying things even to the point where you were talking about um how do you bring value how do you support other musicians Uh, we had a student who came back and said oh i went to la and i went to this show and we're like, oh, who played guitar? You know, did you meet them? Like, 
Did you? And they just went as a spectator. Like they didn't see themselves as a professional and what that means. Um, so do you have advice that you tend to give when you're helping people who, who have not been in that mindset since, since a younger age to start to think that way now? Yeah. You know, and I think there's a difference um, in my generation and today's generation. And I have to be conscious of the differences and uh, not judge how they go about organizing versus how I went about organizing as I was getting started. Because for me, I went to every show, try to meet every person I possibly could. And I just, at some point, my face was known as the the guy that, oh, you were at the last thing. Oh. And then I would say, oh, well, give me some flyers. Like, I'll hand them out. And then people found value in me and they reached out to me for other things. Um, I think the difference is the level, the bar is very low for a lot of people to be heard now. So literally I, I was watching and I'm, I'm going to plug my computer in. <laughs> I was watching uh, uh, a newer artist uh, speak about how her first performance was at the O2 arena and how nervous she was. And it was just like matter of factly, this is my first show. And it was in front of tens of, you know, over 10,000 people. And most people don't have that 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 um that opportunity it's like a one in a million um so finding your people is a big part of what we have to do as artists like who do i gravitate to and who gravitates to me and what makes up that culture if you're not into drinking and doing drugs there are probably some people that you don't want to hang out with. If you're not into nightlife, you're going to have to adjust where you present and how you present and who you present to. Um, if you um, if you have if you're like, well, I need to perform in front of a certain type of audience to feel authentic. Well, you need to figure out how to cultivate that that audience for authenticity. But at the same time, you don't push people away that gravitate to you. So how do I how do I build a group of people that want to care about what I do? Uh, and I think there are a lot of resources out there and there are a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of information where you can you can learn how to get a show if you type it in. But there are nuanced things that you will never know unless you go through the process yourself. Um, so I think I'm always thinking about what I do as, as community building, you know, there's the internal community. Like for instance, if I'm thinking about community building one moment, I'm thinking about community building. Sorry about that. As a, uh, chair of a department, I have to think of well, what's the community in this office between me and the assistant chair and the department coordinator. What's the community between us and the faculty? And then out from there, I'm looking at what is the relationship with the division? What is the relationship with the other divisions? What is, and of course, students. 
And what is the relationship with the college and the, the city, the, the neighborhood around it? And then the neighborhood's relationship with the city and the city's relationship with the state and the state's, you know, and where do I fit in that conversation? Um, because there are a lot of, of, of entry points if you figure out who you want to connect with. Right. What are some of the tools that you think are available today that are different? And then what are some of the things that you think are still there and really valuable yeah. um, when you're looking at building? Like what are, you know, what are the things that you've experienced that you feel like, okay, this is real in the world. Maybe it looks different, right? but this is kind of what you're saying. And then what are some of the things that like can be tools or can be traps that you see that are new in yeah. this professional world? Well, I'd say that, um at the the core of whether it's a new new generation um creation or it's something that existed in the past there are certain things that never change and punctuality responding to people's messages making yourself available humility being kind to people, um, knowing when to speak up for yourself. Like some of those things, they they stand the test of time, right? Um, as far as what I had to do in my generation versus what this generation, um, this new generation is doing, of course, there's like the duplication and sale of your music. Right? What platforms did you have? I could sell a CD for $10.00. There was a whole process that went into creating that CD, studio time, mixing, mastering, players, uh, design, uh, duplication, and then the actual sale of the record, right? And maybe I spent a lot more time on the perfection of the sound that had a cost, and then hopefully I could meet that cost through sale. Um, and I, I could, you know, definitely made more money per record back then. But now I don't have to duplicate albums. Um, I can make a digital record, uh, a, a digital recording, and hopefully somebody will pay for it. That's, you know, the downside. We, we have this social media or we have this uh, uh, digital media where, um, you know, if you're only getting point zero 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 seven six cents per play, is it worth it? Is it worth it to sell? Is it worth it to go through the amount of stress that you did in the past to uh, pay for mixing, recording? Like, what what do you want out of this? Is your goal to be um, a mainstream artist is your goal to just create things that you like and put them out into the world and hopefully people gravitate to them. Like, what is your, why, why do you do this? What do you ultimately want? What do you want to see? But you know, what, what, what kind of impact do you want to have on people? How much can you do on your own? How much do you need to do? You know, what do you have to outsource? You know, part of my journey was going into the studio having to beg a producer for a beat for them to 
you know, sit with their back to me and go, well, you know, I don't know, maybe, and then give it to the person next to me to the point where I had to learn how to make my own beats, but also understanding that, well, if my quality isn't there yet as a beat maker, I still need to, sometimes I need to not ask and sometimes I need to pay. Right. And so what are the things that I need to pay for? And what are the things that I create on my own? And what are the things that, um, that I can get for, for, for free or to barter? Um, so I, you know, um, I think there are way more, there are way more artists out there, which means there are way more people to talk to in different communities around the world, but it's harder to sift through them and find out what's a good relationship. Mm. You know, I can tell that Cheryl's got a lot on her mind, but I want to ask one more question as a segue. And I want to ask, like in the midst of all of this creative work that goes into everything you've talked about, how do you carve out the quiet creative time that's necessary for the art part of what you do. And what does that look like these days? Well, I can tell you as someone that works a very long schedule, hard schedule here at this institution that your something has to take a backseat. And unfortunately my artistry has taken a backseat because I'm worried about other people's artistry. And so I'm still in this process of finding this balance to be able to write like this past weekend. I, I wrote more than I wrote in the last two months. Um, mm. And part of that was because I pushed my body to the point where I got an injury and the injury made me sit. And then in the process of sitting, I learned that all of the things that I had to do, I had to get done right now. They all could wait. So in coming up with systems, uh, a big part of what I'm I'm working on right now is coming up with systems where I can do what I have to and do what I want to. And what does a day look like? You know, how do how do what, what is the timeline for my day? What time do I wake up? What time do I go to sleep? Um, what part of that day do I focus on? this gig or this opportunity what part do i have to focus on uh, my time here and trying to strike some sort of balance that uh allows for me to do the things that i know i that the things that i need to do for pro professionally and the things that i need to do for my soul because if i don't write for two months something feels left out you know if i'm not you know, making some music or creating, yeah, I need an outlet, right? All work and no play, you know, Jack makes Jack a bellboy. And I, a, a big part of that too, and the reason why maybe if I was in more of a corporate job doing investment banking and wasn't able to play, it probably would hurt that much more. But since I'm around music all the time, I I still feel like I have value in this community of people. And so, but I know it, it's weird because it's like, <laughs> yeah, I never want to be arrogant. I know, we, you know, I'd like to imagine none of us do, but 
one of, I stopped going to concerts for a long time, just really started going again because I would go and I'd be judgmental. Like, like, like I, I do that, you know, I do that. I do that better than what I'm seeing right now. Um, and I'm like giving them pointers in my head <laughs> and, you know, a big part about musicianship is especially as an independent artist is your consistency. So I can say what I do all day, but if I'm not practicing my craft, I'm not practicing my instrument. If I'm not showing up in those venue spaces and places to be seen and heard, eventually the, the, the community shifts, the, 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 you know, the, the, the concert going community shifts within a matter of, I'd say within a matter of three or four years, you see major shifts in who goes to what. And unless you're consistently in the mix, you will walk into a, a venue three years later and not know anyone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there, there's a lot in there. I, I, I do have a new album that I'm mostly done with. Um, and, but even in that, I'm not in a rush, like in the rush for what I, I want it to be. I want it to be, I want to have time to do it correctly, whatever that means. But even in that, I, I wonder if I have a copy here. Oh, I, 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 part of like this procrastination, um, I started doing this project back in like 2011, I want to say called at the speed of life. And I was having this kind of, uh, uh, brain freeze. There's another word for it. Um, writer's block. I was having a writer's block. And part of that was waiting for producers to produce things for me. And I somehow got it in my head that I would wake up every morning for seven days straight while I was on a break. And I would dig for, I would listen to records, dig for a sample, produce a beat, write to the song, record it myself, mix it myself design a cover and put it out into the world the same day. And I did that for seven days and some of it sounded great. And some of it sounded horrible. <laughs> some of it, you know, some of it sounded okay. None of it was really like that, that horrible, but it like learning to let go, you know, and we live in an age of information where on one hand, whatever you do online will stay with you forever. But also, there's so much music and media being made on a daily basis that if you're not consistently putting things out, they'll get lost. Yeah. You know, what I love about that answer is that you're very comfortable and open. And maybe you don't feel this way all the time in, internally, but you're open with like, okay, this is this time of my life where I'm focused on others. Yeah. And so I know what I what I'd like to have happen for me, um, but I know what's required of the the type of work I'm doing most, you know, most consistently, like where my solid foundation is professionally. And I think that's something that younger people have to come to terms with. Like yes. what you say you do is not necessarily always what you're doing. 
Right. You know, if you say like, I'm here to find my sound, I'm going to be a performer, but then you never practice or you never go out and play with others or put your music out there, then you're not working as a performer. Right. You know, right. and so I think just being really honest with yourself, like, what are you doing and what do you want? And, and I think that's such a valuable message. Yeah. It, we have to be realistic. Well, there is it, these things are always conflicting with each other because uh, as a creative, you shouldn't be realistic, right? The creative side of my brain shouldn't be, it should be very unrealistic, right? It should dream big. It should throw paint against the wall, try things out, wonder what's going to work, not rework things that kind of worked. Um, I don't ever cross anything out when I write. You know what I mean? I'll just go to another line because I might need that again one day when I'm thinking that way. Um, but the reality of living in this world is I need to buy groceries, have a roof over my head and, uh, you know, be able to transport myself from one place to the other. How do I do that? And if I don't have a support system that allows me to just make music and make not make enough money off of music to live and someone will support me that's one thing but most people don't have that opportunity so what are you going to do to to survive while you create a platform for yourself to be able to have that be your ecosystem from which you you're able to to eat and it doesn't happen for everyone right and right. that's the that's the realistic part. And so if you really want it to happen for you, you have to one, learn how to uh, take advice from people that have experienced what you've experienced, um, still be fearless and go into, go into opportunities and try to you know see how it makes sense to you. Um, and you still have to show up. And you just, I think a big thing for me, a big reason why I ever got to anywhere I've, I've got to in my, my professional life is people know that they can trust me to show up. And there have been plenty of opportunities, both for me when I'm giving an opportunity to someone else or when someone else is giving an opportunity to me, where they're like, uh, I need a, I need somebody that knows how to, uh, so I need somebody that knows how to write. Hey, you, do you know how to write? Yeah. Or, you know, like I just happen to be in the space. Like, uh, so knowing what spaces to be in and knowing what to offer, it's kind of like, I'm thinking of this uh, comparison to uh, there's this phrase like go where you're appreciated, not tolerated. <laughs> so, right. so if I'm developing a, a, a showcase or a tour with that same kind of mindset, I might build myself as the hip hop act have like an R&B soul, have something really experimental on this bill. And because if I have four hip hop acts on the same bill, you might be tolerating this other hip hop music until you get to me mm. as a fan of mine or a supporter of mine. Um, whereas I might appreciate 
hearing something different leading up to to me. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but that's the 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 <laughs> rabbit hole I went down. <laughs> I think it does. I think it it does. And um, Cheryl, I'm kicking it over to you. What's on your mind at this point? Well, just that last little bit made me smile because this is kind of a silly thing, but you know, when you play a show and they have house music out in front oh. before, and, and I, you know, it would always drives me nuts. If, you know, if I'm going to play a jazz gig or whatever. They're going to play jazz guitar in front. Like, because then when I get on stage, they've been sitting there listening to that. I, so not, I, yeah. So I, when I used to work with this comedian, um, uh, actually, uh, Leah Delary, I'd always bring my Frank Zappa and we'd play Frank Zappa. Yes. Up front. And then when we came on with the jazz show, everybody was like, Oh, okay. I'm ready to focus. <laughs> That's like a, just a little detail. Just thinking about. And, there, the and, there's a thin, <laughs> and there's a thin line there too, because, you know, I was uh, organizing these shows in Boston uh, on Boston common uh, over between May and the end of October. And you know, the clientele was a lot, of, it was a beer garden. So the clientele was a lot of people leaving work uh, that were from theater district in that area. And our show was, you know, the show I'm putting together is like soul, R&B, hip hop, yeah, a lot of that sound, but they're playing like, they're playing music that would not attract the crowd that is appreciating this stark contrast happening <laughs> between, you know, 59 after the hour and oh, oh, right. Uh, so it's like, and I DJ too. So part of that is being able to blend genres well. And so I know if I'm, if I'm blending, if I'm doing a show, I'm, and I want to have there, you know, be some continuum or some synergy. I want to keep things in the general BPM range, never to deviate more than 10 uh, BPMs. I want to mix in key. So I want to have something come across, you know, way out outside of the, the, the you know, the boundaries, um, unless it's intentional. Right. Um, and. I want to be able to read the crowd. So, but it's, there's also benefits to uh, having this stark contrast because it might be, I want the people in the first five rows to leave and make room for the people that are going to appreciate it. So it, it I always think, call it being spatially aware, right? I, I think I try to be spatially aware in any uh, music related professional situation. Um, and I learned, you know, spatial awareness, uh, uh, real close, uh, brother, of mine, friend of mine is his dad owns a, uh, a, a community health facility, box and martial arts. They also do, uh, we also do like writing and, and, uh, performance called circle of discipline and, um, in Minneapolis and, he always taught me about spatial awareness. He's, you know, he's a real tough guy. He, you know, trains boxers and, you know, he'd have us up at three o'clock in the morning to put, doing push-ups, you know, totally unexpected all the time. 
And, but he always taught us to, you know, when you come into a room, know where the exits are. Right. When you come into a room, see who's in the room, right? know who you're, know what you're getting into. So if I'm walking into a venue, like I DJ this gig um, for Departure Arts a few year, a few weeks ago, and I see that the band before me is uh, is playing light rock. I'm going to DJ something in the family of light rock directly after it, and I will uh, slowly transition into them listening to what I want them to listen to, which is me. <laughs> so I, I think just having that spatial awareness. But then, you know, there are also times where you're just like, I just want to shake the system up and you just have to deal with the, whatever the consequences are of that. So. You know, there were a couple of things that you said, even from our, I always take little notes because, you know, so much great conversation goes by and I like, oh, I want to talk about that more. But, you know, I there was something actually, you know, you and Kim were just talking about maybe how students approach school and that that it is your career. And that to me is uh, this thing of always do your best because you never know who's listening, you know, yeah. just in whatever you do. And, and I'm sure everybody here and people listening could think about some of the gigs that you got that really changed your life or maybe you were somewhere in some little dive and there were only two people in the audience and yep. whatever. You didn't go up there and just go, ah, man, and yep. just, you know, you did your best and then you get a call and it turns out that's one of those two people in the audience was a booking agent or a musician that calls you to go on tour. And that that's always a thing of, you know, you play, and that's also the reality of a professional musician is sometimes you're out on tour and you're playing big rooms. When you got to come home, you still have to pay the rent. And so you might take a, a little, you know, a th three-year-old's birthday party or a wedding gig or whatever. And whether you're played last night at Carnegie Hall and now you're playing at a three-year-old's birthday party, you treat them the same. You don't go, well, I'm only playing my Carnegie Hall, you know, licks because this just a bunch of people at a little kid's birthday party. And that's the thing is that that's the true professional. That's the true to me, the culture and the, I mean, I, you know, I came from a family of professional musicians. So, you know, that's how I grew up. What are you, what are you doing, grandma? I'm going to a gig. <laughs> like she's going to a gig, right? And it was like, okay, uh, whatever the gig was gonna go and play your best and do your best all the time so these are old-fashioned things even though the technology changes and i think also so there was that thing but i that you were talking about some just real basic traditional values of connecting with others and can you know connecting with others in terms of service connecting with others is um hey you know i i know this person that can help you and do that even whenever the technology, whether you're sending that information on social media or you're calling up somebody on a landline, that still stays the same. And we, you know, we're always talking about that here too, like in terms of performance, like playing your instrument or you're developing your musicianship has to be strong because what are you going to sell on social media or whatever 
if the, that isn't there? What are you going to go in the studio and do if that isn't strong? So it was, you know, it's great to hear that that conversation. So I don't know, whatever you want to add into that or pick up on that. Well, I think the, um, one of the, what you made me think is you know, something I learned a long time ago is the bottom line is that people in order to have a fan base or a crowd or to do this professionally and get callbacks, people have to want to be in the room with you. And I was doing a gig not too long ago where the crowd wasn't receptive to the performer. And his response was like, when he did get some get, did get some applause from somewhere in the crowd, his response was, I see you're with me, even though the rest of these people, uh, they suck. Basically, something to that effect. Um, like, you don't know how people are uh, processing what you do. Maybe what you're doing is so amazing that they don't know how to respond. Maybe what you're doing is so different that they don't know how to respond. Maybe uh, as a hip hop artist, I don't know how a classical, uh, you know, classical uh, uh, piano crowd might respond to my music, or if if I if it was unexpected unexpected for me to be there. Um, so, I think it's important for me to always be professional uh, because that. And that and that professionalism looks different in in different places, but it's always it always comes with promptness, and it always comes with uh, uh, being easy to speak to. Uh, I, I remember a friend of mine who's a, a like world famous DJ. He he said it's not about the equipment. It's like I could rock a party with two tape decks. It's about your rapport and your relationship and your communication. And there's a way to make things work. I always try to make the the best out of a a, a situation as uh, any situation that I'm in. So for me, it's like when I'm teaching classes. There's there's this course I used to teach that I I, I know after just seeing some young younger artists perform recently, I'm like, yeah, I got to bring this back. Uh, it was a class called MC Techniques. How do I deal with being in front of a crowd of people? What do I do when the power goes out? What do I do when the music goes out? What do I do when uh, when I'm on stage and a lady walks on the stage and says, I never heard Billie Holiday before. This is great. Do I turn to her and be a jerk? Which I totally could do because you're invading my personal space. Or do I assess where I'm at in the room and how people might process music that she may have thought that's okay and just say something like nice to her and give her a thumbs up. That same person who's a real estate agent sent me uh, a direct message a few days ago praising how I opened her mind to Billie Holiday, right? Um, and there's no telling what that re relationship might be. Maybe one day I need to buy a house. Who am I going to talk to? I, I don't throw away. I tried my best to not throw away any relationship. Like everybody has value. Um, and there, there's also like the need is different in, in different places. Um, 
I'll stop there because I can go on down this whole other uh, this whole other. <laughs> I, I think this is so great. I mean, because it's the need that's different, right? And also the requirements. Like we get a lot of students like I just want to be myself and I just want to sound like myself. And you can have yourself and your sound, yeah. but maybe there are things that you you're not thinking about yet, or that people who are more experienced than you are pushing you to try new things that might end up being valuable. And also certain situations might call for you to be yourself, but present differently by what you wear, by the way you speak to people, by like, you know, and those are things that are okay to know and you don't give up yourself to succeed professionally by knowing these things that help you build community. Yeah. You know, I think, having knowledge it's not about it's not necessarily about conforming to what everyone else wants of you but it is about having the knowledge of the world that surrounds whatever your your talent is if i play guitar like i might play guitar in a rock band r&b band i might play solo i might do jazz i might playing this uh, Afrobeat band. I might play in this reggae band. I, like, what is the, I, what am I going to say? I, 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 I don't like reggae, so I'm just not going to do it. Well, that artist just sold out their arena down the street and they really liked when you played. Are you going to tell them no, because that's not your style? I, how are you cutting yourself off from opportunities by saying, I'm just going to do things one way? my way you know like i like experiment i like i think the biggest uh thing that i like to not not one of not the biggest but one of the big, big things that i i like to uh express to the faculty is that we have to create space for people to fail with some safe guardrails because your failure here with people that care about you is different than your failure out there with people that don't have to. So try it, join that ensemble that you wouldn't normally join, join that student club. You wouldn't usually join, take that opportunity that looks stupid, right? Because you never know what that might open you up to. I think some of the, you know, I, I've performed, I've, I've performed for 10,000 people and I've performed for, 18 kindergartners and their parents in the back of the room with their arms crossed. You know, I, I've seen, I've performed for elders, I've performed for young people, I've performed for people that don't speak English and I've performed for a crowd of people that don't want me there. Right. And what do you do? You know, you make do like, this is your profession. Right. I think that's beautifully said. Um, Ben, I think this sets you up perfectly. Ben has a question that he asks everyone. Take it, Ben. Yes. Yeah. This has been such an awesome and inspiring episode so far as for me personally. So I'm really excited to ask this just to to, to hear your answer. Um, But the question is, what's, what is a question that you think students should be asking when they're first coming here that might not be something that they would think of on their own to ask? Mm-hmm. What is a question students coming to Berkeley specifically? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, I, I think it's a two part. It's what do I need to do to be successful? And then defining what success means to you. Right. I think the biggest question I always try to lead with whenever I'm doing a project or I'm collaborating or whatever it might be is why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why do I care? Why is this important to me? Because I'll tell you the, what, the, who, the, where is always going to change. And if you are not deep down at the core of yourself, committed to what you believe in, you can sway with the, the trees, right? In the wind, right? Um, so for me, like my why, I didn't know how to describe it for so many years, but I came down to my why being my role is to connect people through music and through the arts. So how that looks might change from day to day, year to year. But if I'm still connecting people across this planet to each other in a constructive way through the arts, I have some sort of sense of fulfillment. If all I could do all day is, is crunch numbers and, um, you know, be an investment banker, and I never had an opportunity to play for people or play something for people, I, I would be very disappointed. And so I think the key for any student is figure out why you do this. And if your why is just, if your why is, I wanna make a lot of money as an artist. Okay, there's a lane for that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, criticize you for that but I will pose in more questions. Like, okay, well, at what point will, <laughs> what will, what can people get you to do for money? And how might that go against your, your, your ethics and your moral code or whatever that is. But if I say, all I really want to do is make money. Okay. Well, do you want people to enjoy being there? Do you want people to care? Do you want to make any changes in the world? Can you blend those questions with being successful uh, as far as making money? So, or maybe your why is, I just like to see people enjoy themselves. Or the why is, I just need to fight these demons in my head and get them out. And the way I do it is shred it. You know, like you can have a reason, you know, ju just makes you, you can have multiple reasons and you can have a, a goal or a why that changes over time. My first why was I see other people that look like me putting their hands up in the air and telling a crowd full of people to put their hands in the air. I want to know, I want to do, I want that much power. Like, I want to do that. Like, I want people to care what about what I say, because I feel like nobody cares about what I say. And then when I finally got people to do that, I, uh, I started to ask more questions. Okay, well, what do I need to say? Well, why did they do that for me? And they didn't do it for me the last time. Well, this time you have a community of participation that actually cares that you're up there. 
And maybe it's because you built some relationship prior to get on stage. Maybe it's because the music that you play resonates with them differently. Maybe it's because you're in a different kind of space and venue where putting your hands up is not embarrassing, right? All these questions that came from my original why and my, my original why has changed and has allowed for me to, to, to broadly um, connect people through music if I'm working with an organization and doing uh, cultural diplomacy in some other country, or if I'm teaching a class, or if I'm playing uh, playing at a venue, or if I'm releasing a record. These are all different ways. And so I, even though I, I might be disappointed that I didn't get to write that song this week, I know I was here. And I knew I knew I was still able to help people connect. That's really beautiful. I think that's a that's a good question that everyone you can take some homework from Professor Wright and ask yourself what is your why. I think that's a really good good thing for everybody to do because you're right because it changes. Um, yeah. And I think it's good to stay current with what it is for you. Um, Any Cheryl, other part of this? I was just going to say real quick, because I know we're running out of time here, is that oh, understand that a lot of people aren't nice. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. That's great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, you know, good. Yeah. Like, and people don't have to like you. People don't have to like your music. People don't have to applaud you. That doesn't mean that your music is terrible. Right. You could be you could be the greatest player in the world and people just not want to hear it or don't want to hear it specifically from you. Like there's yeah, a, there's or they're a, having a bad time and they just have to tell you in the comment, like we had one troll on our, our student and faculty social media and he just put like throw up emojis on every single thing. Yeah. And he was just having a bad time, whoever that was, that poor person, you know? I, I don't know what people are going through. I don't know why, you know, you're going to get all types of people that are in the world of the things you create and not all of them love you. And sometimes we get a little too comfortable because we surround ourselves with the protective layer. People that love us, people that care about us, people that want to hear what um, people that are willing to go. Oh, that's 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 nice. That's good. You do you. There's one thing I always say. You know, there's different um, types of criticism. There's constructive, deconstructive, and indifference. So constructive criticism is an uh, example of, I like your hat. I wish it was a couple shades darker to match your sweater a little bit better. Compliment wrapped in, you know, a critique. Deconstructive is, man, the hat looks really bad on your head. It's like, you look really bad today. Now, that hurts, but there was an opinion in there about something about me. Indifference is, I see you dressed today. You really did you. You really did your thing today. My thing? Like, what is my thing? That, that gives me nothing to work from. 
And so what I strive for is constructive or deconstructive criticism. I'm going to make something you either like it or you hate it. Uh, give me something to work with. And even having a troll in your comments is great for your podcast because people that care will argue for you. You know, that's right. And that's why it's important to, in our in our work to like take stands. Like, this is what I'm about. This is what this is. This is what I'm about, and I stand on it. And not always yeah. be wishy washy to please people just because somebody in the third row frowned. So I guess I better play to them and make them feel better now. Like, no, I, 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 yeah, I do talk about this a lot in my MC techniques class is um, like a lot of music is mob theory. Like live music is mob theory. It's like you in a crowd, you're performing in front of a crowd full of people and only two people are raising their hands. Who do I go to? Where do I put place my emphasis as the performer? So, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you go to where no one's got their hand up. Like, well, no, they, they already let me know how they're feeling right now by not participating. I'm going to go to the people that care. And when I go over there, someone next to them is going to look at them and feel left out because we all have FOMO, right? And they're going to put their arm up. And then when that person puts their arm up, another two people are going to put their arm up. And then someone from the other side that feels left out is going to put their arm up. And so there might be five people with their arms up now on this side of the stage and one person with their arm up on this side of the stage. I will acknowledge the five here and then I will go to that one person. And then when I'm at that one person, a second person will put their arm up. And hopefully by the time I'm done with my song, everyone in the front will have their hand up. But that's the spatial awareness, you know? So. There's so many beautiful things we've talked about in this coffee. Um, and Cheryl, I'm wondering, as kind of it comes to an end for now, what's on your mind? How hard it's going to be able to edit to find the little <laughs> bit of wisdom that we put on our social media. <laughs> Well, maybe we have to break precedent and put a few. I think that might be the thing. You know, I think it, a lot of really beautiful things. Perfect at this time of the semester too. when and also maybe for everyone, even if you're not on a semester system, it's getting dark earlier. And so maybe we're all a lot more thoughtful this week, but it's been a beautiful coffee. Um, ben, what about you? Honestly, I think this is my favorite episode that I've ever been a part of this is like, I, I just feel so inspired right now. Just, just talking to you, Toki. So, so thank you for, for coming on. And this is just filled with so many amazing topics that, that we covered. I drink coffee in real life. You're all invited. So. <laughs> oh, likewise. And you know, everyone, I know you're going to be jealous, but the four of us are going to stay and finish our coffee together. Um, but we're so glad that you were with us. And we will be with you on the next Coffee Talk.